Take your Bible or your smart device, whatever it is that you use to read uh, the Word of God, and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we will read in just a few moments verses 16 through 18. I want to make a couple of uh, remarks before we read that passage of Scripture together. You see it on your screen. The title of the message today is God's Precious Gifts for our spiritual health. This is the last sermon in this series that we have done through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. It's been a, it's, it's, for me personally, it's been an incredible journey and looked at a lot of different themes as we have worked our way through this. And today we end with a benediction that's more than just a prayer. Um, the prayers of Paul often were more than simply prayers, and it is a word of encouragement and exhortation uh, to us as well. Maybe your week has been normal, and maybe it hasn't been. There are families in our church and extended that the last week, the last couple of weeks have been anything but normal. I thought of that last song, um, the very first words, out of the depths, I cry to you. And, uh, and I thought immediately of Monty and so she Scott, uh, Isaac, their oldest child, their son, who was in the Marines, serving active duty in the Marines several weeks ago. I, I know many of you are aware of this. He took his life. And uh, the services will be this coming week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, and I'm pretty sure that Jim Jackson is going to be going out there to help and assist in that and be with the, the family. So uh, they, they just, they request the prayers. Uh, they've lived there out there for quite a while. You know, sometimes there is a struggle to find a church home and they have moved several times. They still consider uh, heritage, their church family, watch our service every week, and uh, so be in prayer for Monty and Soshi and uh, the, the rest of the family involved in, in this. Uh, there will be a link, we'll send out uh, information on, on that uh, this week, so if you want to be a part of the service, um, you can be. But maybe your week has been a week with no great upheavals, no intense challenges, no alarm over things happening in and to our nation or our world by extension. Maybe you had a week where, it's hard to imagine this, that in your life there were no arguments or interpersonal conflict. That's a nicer word, isn't it? No pressure at work, no health issues. But if you had another kind of week, to one degree or another, I want to ask this question, then we're going to read this scripture and look at four things. Gifts that God gives to us when we go through things like what I've just described, everything. I want to ask the question, where does your mind go to when you 
I want you to personalize this, please. Where does your mind go to when you really feel bad or down or completely helpless or hopeless? I hope it goes to the exact place that Paul sends us as we will be looking at this message on God's peace, God's strengthening presence, God's truth, His grace for the journey. And I I pray that it will resonate with you. I didn't expect when I started studying this last week uh, for this to have the impact that it did on me personally. And I pray it will have the same impact on you. So, uh, just read along uh, silently as I read this aloud. These last verses, the benediction, that's what it's called. Now, set the context. Again, Paul is not just giving a nice little uh, prayer. This is the way to close my letter, but it's very, very personal. And uh, growing out of the conflict, the church discipline issue that they had been dealing with, with people who did not want to work but wanted to mooch off of the congregation, And so he gives this in verse 16. Now, may the Lord of peace, love that title, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord, I'll put this in parentheses, and his strengthening presence be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. He had a, no doubt, someone else writing the whole letter, but when he got to this point, he said, look, I'm going authentic- to authenticate, I will make authentic, I can't get that other word out, authenticate the letter that I'm writing to you. This is a sign of the genuine, of genuineness in every letter of mine. This is the way I write the truth. And then the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father, I I need your help. I need your help uh, with, with rightly dividing your word. I never want to read into, but rather to extract out of what you have to say to us. And so as we walk through these four uh, truths that I believe grow out of this passage, others do too. Um, I pray that you would help us deal with whatever situation of life, if this can help someone who's going through the deepest, darkest valleys such as Monty and Soshi, then it can help us where we are. And so we pray for them, we lift them up. Would you surround them with the peace that only you can give, not that the world gives, that you give. Would you walk with them? Would you give them your strengthening presence? Would you gird them with your truth and give them grace for the journey of this next week and help us to do the same? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump right in. All right, the first one, the first uh, uh, point here on your outline is this. The Lord himself, that's very, very personal, gives us true peace because he himself is our peace. Let me read. Repeat that phrase in verse 16, the first part of it. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. I love that. 
And so here's what we're going to do. I, I could go in a million different directions, and I could spend hours talking about the peace of God, but I want to do it in two sections and, and then apply it. I want to talk about, first of all, something that is very, very elusive to everybody, to one degree or another, and to one time or another, at one time or another. I think that's why Paul says, at all times and in every way. He wants you to know that it's going to hit you. And that's the, the horizontal sense of peace, the peace of God. Horizontal. You, you know what I mean by that. I'm talking about what I mentioned a minute ago, the, the peace of interpersonal relationships. I asked you a minute ago, did you have any arguments? Did you have any interpersonal conflicts? And that's any sibling rivalry in here among you younger children? Any, any sibling, uh, sibling rivalry? Or, or any other kind of rivalry with people in school or anything like that? And then it goes up and you, you never get away from it. I'm not talking about sibling rivalry necessarily. I'm talking about all kinds of interpersonal conflicts. And, and so we need horizontal peace. And that's why th there's this... Um, there's this exhortation for, from Paul, and he gives it all the way through Scripture, but it kind of pops out in Romans chapter 12. He's talking about gifting, and he's talking about exercising your gift and doing the right thing in the church. And then he says these words, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you. You, you, you can't control other people. But by the way, and I had this conversation with someone last week, it really does take two people to argue. So if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, some of you are thinking, boy, Marty, you are really meddling right out of the chute. Thank you. Personal testimony time, I think. And do you know why? I am. Because our factory default since the fall, we inherited this. We came by it honestly from Adam, our first father, and we can see that right after that, that his kids don't, oh boy, they just, they really messed it up. So we, it's our factory setting. We are born at war. Just look around us. I know there are some of you who are adults. You're looking around in our nation and in the world. And by the way, these kinds of hostilities have gone on before. It's not anything new. But there is kind of a spike that we're seeing and in cities, and it's all over the news about these kinds of things. And people are wondering about, listen to this, it's... If we really didn't know the answer to that, it would be almost, well, what are they? People are talking about root causes. What are the root causes of the crimes? I heard this just this morning. What are the root causes of crime in our cities? Interesting words, gun violence. It's interesting. And, and Romans 1 tells us this downward spiral when people who, who know God, who know about God, and they reject the revelation of God, 
And this is everybody. There are some people who think this is just a particular group. This is everybody. But when people do that, they are going to go in this, into this downward spiral. It's going to manifest itself in various kinds of sin patterns. But watch what Paul says at the very end of that whole chapter, Romans chapter 1. They were filled. In other words, it, it, it was their default setting with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And I know some of you, are, if you watch the news and if you hear those things, you're probably raising your hand and say, I know, I know the root cause. I don't know that you're going to make much of an impact with those folks, but you can make an impact in your world with yourself, if possible, as far as it depends on you. By the way, let me let you in on a secret. You're never going to escape conflict. Either by finding a new spouse or friends, new church, new job. Because wherever you go, there you are. We want peace. Don't, don't you want peace? Have you ever walked into a setting, either a home or, or a workplace or a church sometimes, and, and uh, there are churches that you have been a part of, and I have too, where there was a conflict in the church. I don't mean that there are always the little interpersonal skirmishes and all the rest of that. I'm talking about real conflict where the church was, was just split and, and a visitor walked in and, and they don't even have to know what's going on. They don't. You can just sense it. And every one of us wants calm, tranquility. Cessation of hostility, cessation of conflict. We want the hatred to stop, and yet it is so elusive. So what do you do? Well, you go to some of the great theologians. I'm saying that being facetious. Who will tell us what to do? At the opening of the Olympics, they used again. It's not the first time they've used it. There's just a lot going on here. But they used a song from a theologian. He was a theologian named John Lennon. He was an anti-God theologian. Everybody believes something about God. And so here are Two really, really, really good singers, Keith Urban, hands down. What, what, really, anybody like Keith Urban besides me? He, he really, what? Where are, the, where are the hands? Keith Urban is really, really good. And John Legend, all right, that's okay. And they're singing John Lennon's song, Imagine. Now, John Lennon wanted peace, but he, he didn't know the root, he didn't know how to get to the root causes because he rejected God. Yoko Ono Lennon, his wife, wrote this 
to the current committee. Imagine a world, you know, this is so interesting. There's irony and to a degree, and hear my heart on this, I'm not just trying to poke at people, but there's irony and hypocrisy and, and all kinds of things going on here. By the way, with you and me too, okay, let's just admit it. The only thing consistent about you and me and everyone else is our inconsistency. Amen? Okay. So here's Keith Urban and John Lennon writing a song, and, and Yoko is giving her two cents. Imagine a world without illusion in this present moment. There, this world is filled with all kinds of illusions. Without the divisive control of mechanisms of borders, I wonder around Yoko's house if there is a fence or if she has doors. Uh, but just imagine a world without... By the way, there, there will be a place where we will need no walls. I, and I'm looking forward to that, but not here, not now. Nationalism. She goes against nationalism. Warfare. And this grows out of the song. Religious constructs. Hmm. Or ownership. Boy, there's a whole lot of irony and hypocrisy going on there, where life and its riches are shared in peace with harmony worldwide. Now, here's, here's some of the words of the song. I, I just want you to see what the world root causes. Imagine, here's what first words that John Lennon sang. Do you remember these in the song? It, it was never really, uh, I, I liked a lot of Beatles songs, but this was not one of them. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Now, this is ironic, too. I read this. This next statement, they're singing it for the Olympics at the marching out of the nations of the world. Imagine there are no countries. I could just go on but I won't because all I'm trying to do is to illustrate one simple thing. We pursue with everything under the sun the means for peace and we're always disappointed because God said it in his word Unless you're connected with Christ. Now, remember, we're still talking horizontal. We're going to get to the vertical in a minute. And I think you know where I'm going. But God very, he, he very simply and very eloquently said these words. There is no peace. God said it. Not a preacher. There is no peace for the wicked. For those who reject God, who are trying to get it, root causes other than the real solution to the problems. There is no peace. False prophets, there are a lot of them today. They're going to tell you there's peace, and, and I could just go through and fill in the blanks. And they're, they're telling you and you and you and you and me a lot of different things, and they're promising peace. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and give lying divinations, and you shall know that I am the Lord God 
precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. So you, you know the answer to this. What's the only way that you can ever, I'm talking about in your home, in your family, and if you don't like the interpersonal conflict that you're experiencing right now, remember, if possible, so far it as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We're going to get to this in a minute about the truth. Parenthetically, not peace at any price. But if you want peace, what is the only solution? We can get to the root cause today. Uh, the, the solution. What's the only way to have horizontal peace? Come on. To have vertical peace. The only way we're going to have peace with each other because of man's condition, remember I said hardwired, this is the hardwired part. Man is set, the mind set on the flesh, which is descriptive of the lost person, the person without Christ, is hostile, not just to either, each other, but we're hostile to God. It does not submit itself to God, His law, indeed it cannot. And then I'm going backtracking to Romans chapter 3. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. That is man's default condition outside of Christ. The only way that we're going to have horizontal peace is to have peace with God. It's the only way. And that's the gospel. Jesus reconciles his people to God through his death on the cross. He reconciles his people at the same time to one another, and only God gives that. Here, here's the answer. It's the cross of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. D do we sound like broken records here? Thank you. Somebody is engaged. Look at this. Here's, here's the secret to reconciliation. He's going to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven. This is big. This is bigger than just your little house and, 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 and our city and our state and our nation and our world. This is, this is cosmological. I wasn't sure if I could pronounce that. How does he do it? He makes peace by the blood of his cross. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to turn for just a second, just a second, to one of the greatest passages on peace and reconciliation in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 2. Um, I, I could read a whole passage, but look at Ephesians chapter 2 and jot that down. Study it a little bit later on. Go to verse 14. And he says, Paul says almost uh, the same thing that he says in this passage in, in uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, and, and he's personalizing. You, you want to have peace? Have Jesus. But why? Because he himself is our peace. Now watch this. And he's, before I say, read this, he is talking about the enmity that existed between two people groups. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there enmity between people groups today? 
people groups. I'm defining that as different ethnicities that, that probably are, are most easily seen through different colors of skin, through, through the different amount of melanin in your skin. Now, back then, it was a little bit different. It, it was mainly religious. It's been through the years, Karl Marx, it was economic. Today, it's quote-unquote racial, skin color. But it doesn't matter because when God does a work of restoration and reconciliation among any of those, there was no greater division than existed between the Jews and everyone else. (laughs) So it wasn't just one. It was all of the nations. It was the Jews and everyone else. No greater hostility because... By the way, who, who, who made them divided in the first place? Whoa, this is going to surprise you. Well, it won't surprise you because you've studied the Bible. God made them different. And they took it and they didn't do what God wanted them to do. He said, I'm drawing you out, Abraham. I'm drawing you out. I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be my chosen people so that you can have my revelation so that you can take this great news that is coming in the Messiah to all of the nations of the world. And they didn't. They kept it for themselves. And so there was this huge dividing line. It was even, you've heard this in our series on Ephesians, we talked about this. There was a dividing wall within the temple. Court of the Gentiles, Gentiles, any, any of them, that was all of us no matter what nationality you are from. If you weren't a Jew, you couldn't go past the wall or you might be killed. That that was the threat. But when Jesus came, he did something so miraculous, so marvelous, for he himself, look at verse 14, Ephesians 2, he himself is our peace. Do you want peace? Get Jesus. He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's not the first time, and it will not be the last time. And if anybody ever comes to you and comes into, I expect it from people outside the church, but if anybody comes to you and says, no, this is not true, there is still a dividing wall for whatever reason. And seeks to destroy the oneness, the unity that God has established through his blood on the cross. Paul, in another place, talking to the Judaizers, said, let them be anathema. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, students. Younger people, older people. Upon him was the chastisement from God that brought us what? Peace, vertical peace, and with his stripes we are healed, which issues out, ushers into that horizontal peace. One new man, one body, the dividing wall destroyed. At the end of the week, if Katie hadn't already 
printed out the, 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 the worship guide. I was going to change the sermon into uh, the title into Jesus the Destroyer. I thought, now that's catchy. It's probably a good thing that I, <laughs> it was already printed. But I was looking at that. He's the destroyer. Look at that. It, 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 what did he, he destroyed whatever divides us, and he made us one. Do you realize that? If you're in Christ today, you're not just sitting here and a member of, of, of Heritage Baptist Church and, and this particular membership, but you are son, sons and daughters of God. You've put on Christ, and we are one body with him. Our identity is in him. And, and, and that's huge. I'll just say this about that. Your identity was given to you by God. And it should be a precious, precious thing. Do not ever let anybody make you ashamed of how God created you. Because he created you in his wisdom and his providence and your identity truly is God-given. Don't be ashamed and do not apologize for what God in his wisdom has done. Christ tears down dividing walls and he unites. Satan and culture always divide. We see in our world some of the worst atrocities. They go back right after the garden, Cain and Abel. So the solution is this. Thomas Watson, a Puritan of another day, said, go to Christ's cross, his blood for peace. The cross of Christ provides everything we need. We've got to believe that. For us as individuals, for us as families, for us as a church, for us as a nation, for us as a world, and I'm talking not to try to make the world what it can never become, but I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. Let's look at the second point, okay? By the way, the world can never become it on its own, with its own solutions. I I hope you got that. Second thing, the Lord himself gives us his strengthening presence. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but it was a good corrective for me. The Lord be with you all. Now, There have been times in the past that I would have corrected Paul. Some some of you, are you following what I'm saying? How would I have corrected Paul on this? (sighs) Zealous, but, you know, just not really up on what Paul is meaning here. I would have said, oh, Paul, now you know theologically. You know the Bible says... God is with you always. He is omnipresent. Some of us, like me, have been critical of those who ask for the presence of God to be with them as they worship. Because we know 
that the Lord is omnipresent. He know that we know that he is with us. Now, Paul is talking about that, but growing out of that, Paul is talking about, listen, listen, that theological reality becoming a living witness, manifestation, presence in our lives. Okay, now, are, are, you, are you with me? Are you following me? L let me move along so that you can understand what I'm saying. God will never forsake you or leave you. We'll, we'll look at that verse in just a second. But Paul is asking for something to be with the church, and that is the manifest, strengthening presence of the Lord. That's why he says, I'm praying that the Lord be with you all. In 1 Corinthians, he had the same idea. He knew theologically that the Lord was with the church. The church is the Lord's. But he says something really, really neat. And I thought, boy, what a great application for Heritage Baptist Church. If all prophesy, that, if all are preaching and an unbeliever, outsider enters, he's convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. We're not going to get into the, the explanation of that particularly, but watch this, the next thing. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. There is a danger when, when, when wanting to be so biblically, and we do want to be biblically accurate with everything that we do and say, all right? But if we so intellectualize God and his presence with us, make it just theology rather than the living reality, the immediacy of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, We've done ourselves in the church a disservice. Paul is saying, and, and I was thinking this week, wow, wouldn't that be just, and it is, I think it is, not hopefully with just our church, but other churches as well, that an unbeliever walks in, he hears the conversation around him, that too is prophesying. What I'm doing is I'm forthtelling the word. He hears conversations. Somebody was telling me about Wednesday night at our men's meeting and how the impact of the prophesying that went on, the sharing of what God had done in someone's life, how that impacted him. Wouldn't it be amazing halfway through our service when we're prophesying while we're singing that a visitor... I, I know we've got some visitors with us today, so I'm not asking you to do this, but if a visitor dropped to their knees and said, wow, God is among you. The manifest power and presence of God so that we can do what God wants us to do, such as forgive. Going back to the interpersonal relationships, such as live in peace. Look at these two verses. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. He's always with us, but have there ever been times in your life, and I'm thinking of Monty and Soshi Scott, 
And I look around and I, I see people who I, I think probably the, of all the hurts, and there are a lot of hurts and pains that we can have in life, I think probably the, the biggest uh, is, is the loss of a child. You know the reality of what Paul is praying, the Lord be with you. You know the reality of Psalm 46, the Lord is my refuge and strength. This week, he's been a very present help in trouble. That's the testimony that many of you could give about those times in your lives. Then, keep your life free from the love of money. I, I just, I thought I could, I could paraphrase and shorten that, but don't depend on outside things. Be content with what you have. Because why? Because he has said, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, do you, do you follow what I'm saying? I'm not going over here to the error of seeing visions wherein Jesus is your buddy, that you put your arm. I'm talking about the manifest presence of God that each of us has as we walk daily with the Lord. I think this is what Paul meant when he got to the end of his life. I don't know that I've, I've ever looked at this and thought, wow, this, this is what he meant. This is what he was praying. This is what he was praying for Heritage Baptist Church. The presence, the, the, the Lord be with you all. The Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. So that when you come to the end of your life, Oh, that, that's, maybe that's a long way away. Okay, so that when you come to this afternoon or tomorrow or the challenges, that you can say what Paul did. And, and he was under the gun at my first defense. No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. He wasn't whining. He was just stating fact so that he could tell a, a, a great reality. May it not be charged against them. You talk about forgiveness, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. When you are called to go through a trial that you don't know where the strength is going to come from, you can depend on Him. That's why there are really no excuses for the Christian. I will boast all the more gladly, Paul said in another place, of my weaknesses. For, for those of you who say, I'm too weak for this, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And then throw in the other from Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. <laughs> I was going to say, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Why would I even say that? I know that you and I both need the manifest strengthening presence of the Lord every minute of every day. Let's go to number three. The Lord himself gives us truth. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of my genuineness. In every letter of mine, this is how I roll. Well, that's not what he said. This is the way I write. 
Here's, here's another verse. You may want to have this down, Jude 3, 3. It's another extension. He's writing, Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you, Paul always was, about our common salvation. Boy, he zeroes in on something. He said, now, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, the faith, not just faith in general, the faith, the Word of God that was once for all delivered to the saints. Paul was absolutely deeply concerned that you and I have God's truth. For the peace to be right, for the power, uh, the presence of the Lord Jesus to be right, we've got to have the truth. And if you'll remember, there were people, he's writing this because there were people who were saying things that were not the truth. They were passing it off as truth, saying that Paul had written it, or they had gotten it from Paul. And that's why I say much more than simply being a personal note of benediction. This is a weapon. What he's talking about right here is a weapon against heresy, God's inspired word. We don't fight with human weapons. That's what 2 Corinthians 10 is all about. And then put this, write that down. If you don't have that in your arsenal, you need to have it. So that the next time you start fighting a, a spiritual battle, you know that your weapons that you fight with are not fleshly, carnal, they're spiritual. Because really the bottom line is you're in a spiritual war, Okay. And then this, this goes back to peace, one of the greatest verses that was ever penned by the psalmist. Were you anxious this last week? No, that's not rhetoric. <laughs> that's not a preacher's device. I'm just asking, was there a moment maybe you feared you were anxious, there was turmoil, there was loss of tranquility, there was, there was conflict, whatever. Would you like peace? Here's a guarantee. Now, you notice what this doesn't say. What doesn't it say? It doesn't say you won't have conflict. But it does say that you'll have peace. Or does it? Come on. What does it say that you'll have peace? Thank you. You won't just have peace. You're going to have abundant peace. You're going to have a lot of peace if you do a very simple thing every day. Great peace have those who love your law. The whole thing, the laws and the prophets, the word, nothing causes them to stumble. And one of the greatest things that you could be asked if you're going through struggle and there's no peace in your life, and you may not like this question, but one of the greatest things anyone could ask you is, how is your quiet time? 
I'm serious. Anybody who's been in ministry or discipled people long enough, and they come and they say, I don't have peace. Now, I'm not negating or belittling the sorrows and the suffering that people go through, but there there is an incredible truth that those who love the Word of God, young or old, and by the way, the place to start with this is when you're young. Get that, get that, that, that Bible reading plan or have a plan of your own, systematically going through God's Word, soaking in God's Word. Devotional guides are good, but God's Word is better. It's best. And if you want peace, be in His Word. If you don't have peace, check it, check it, check it. Are you in His Word? Not just in His Word, not just mechanically reading, but say, feed me, Lord. Feed me with Your Word. Your Word is my life, and I, I want to love. Help me to love Your Word. Paul, Paul wanted us to know that. You know, normally the biggest attack, attacks on on. Uh, Christian theology. Would, would you say there's a fair amount of heresy in the world today? In our country? Oh, come on. Our, our, our country has the best, the, 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 the biggest amount of resources of any place on the face of the earth that has ever lived. And do you think we really have heresy? Paul wants you to have the Word so that you can be discerning now, this is just a little thing that you, we, need, we need to look at. It's a part, I believe, of what Paul is trying to encourage us about. How does heresy start? Is it going to be somebody coming in here and looking really uh, evil and saying, I'm here to teach you heresy? No, it's going to be a well-respected leader or preacher deviating from the truth. What's that called? Error. So what do you do, Christian, not just me, but what do you do when error creeps in? You correct it. What do you do when that error continues? You discipline Because error uncorrected is going to become heresy. Did anybody notice that I I do quotes on the side of my outline? Is that helpful? Should I just keep that? Have you noticed that I do not quote people that I used to quote? It's not that I don't like them. They're, They're really sharp people and all the rest of that. I don't quote Tim Keller anymore. Tim Keller is one of the most brilliant men. He is so much smarter. I'm serious. He is so much smarter than I am. It's not even funny. I think sometimes error starts out of a desire to make sure that people that you minister to get the truth. And if you minister to a particular demographic, he wrote a book on Genesis. What were we put in the world to do? This is from his book. Listen to it. This is why I don't quote him. 
anymore. In order to be true to my, now watch the words here, in order for me to be true to my own principle, I won't bother you with information about the different views of the flood. All right? Genesis 6, is that a big deal? Let me just lay out my own assumptions. Okay, true to my own principles, my own assumptions. I believe Noah's flood happened, partial truth, but that it was a regional flood, not a worldwide flood. Now, is that a big deal? Is that big enough for us to say error, error? It is because the book of Genesis says it covered the whole, every mountain to a depth of 15 cubits. The whole world over. It was not a worldwide flood. Those who insist on it being a worldwide flood seem to ignore too much the scientific evidence that there was no such thing. I can't wait. I've never been. I want to go to the the, the uh, Noah's Ark and, and see that. I, I've seen the, the videos on it. It teaches the truth of the flood. Listen, ignore too much the scientific evidence that there was no such thing. Do you really believe that science, science is theories, that science disproves the flood? I haven't written to Tim Keller. He's a public author. So because he's a public author that many of you like through various kinds of blogs and everything like that, you need to understand that he has now stepped into error. And I don't know where the deviation, I have some ideas based on other things that I've read from him, but I have an idea that he's going to deviate. You know, when they were laying the carpet here the other day, I thought, how are they going to do it? They started in the middle. This guy, he was a pro. He, he's just down there on his knees laying the carpet. And I said, he's, is he not going to use a laser or... You know what would have happened if I had been laying that carpet? <laughs> the slightest, listen, the slightest deviation, if you let it go long enough, becomes a heresy. I, I, let's see. We've got to finish. Let, let me wrap it up and just do the last thing because it really, really is important. Uh, I, you know, we, we've experienced, I, I've experienced this. I experienced this in seminary. Old Testament professor, one of my favorite professors, Boo Heflin, taught that the first 11 chapters of Genesis were a myth. Keller doesn't do that. He said they're a poem, and that's why he can get away with it. So it happens all the time. The thing that we have to do is simply be discerning. Pray for wisdom to confront error, the error of heresy. Last thing, the Lord himself gives us his grace for our journey. Okay, let's just look at this last one. Paul's thorn, we mentioned it a minute ago, and his weakness, 
So whatever your weakness is, whatever your thorn is, Paul basically says you need to delight in that because that's where God is going to show himself and give you grace for your journey. What is your journey? To proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world that without the gospel, they're heading to hell. And we have the only message of hope to give them. And that's why Paul prayed for the church at Thessalonica. That's why he prayed for us. False prophets will promise peace horizontally with all kinds of things. Get it right with God in your life first, vertically. Have you, have you settled that? Do you have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Have you seen your own sinfulness before a holy God? Do you understand that God sent Jesus, as we said earlier, to be the blood atonement for your sin? And that if you believe in him, you're not only saved for an eternity, you're joined as one to the body of Christ. Your only hope is in the gospel. Father, thank you for these moments that we've had as Paul wrapped up his incredible letter, uh, Lord, and as we now shift gears to a new uh, area of Scripture, Lord, we look forward to that, but help us to stop and do business with what you've given us here at the end of Second Thessalonians. I pray that if there's anyone without Christ today, today would be the day of salvation and that you would give your peace to those who turn to Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, and uh, help us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.